0: The most awesome podcast to ever embrace a pair of headphones, Sarasso and the Beard. And now, here are your hosts, Nick Sarasso and Jose, the Talking
1: Beard Rivera. And welcome to Sarasso and the Beard podcast episode 16. I am Nick Sarasso.
0: And I'm the Talking Beard, Jose Rivera.
1: And Jose, how's it going as we're recording this podcast on Friday, December the 8th?
0: It's going well. You know, a little bit sad that Matt Ryan disappointed me in my first fantasy football playoff matchup last night, but it's all good. Maybe I'll bounce back. Maybe I
1: won't. Uh, maybe I'll just write a letter to him saying how he's going to owe me $1,000, but that's fine. <laughs> I certainly had a uh, better fantasy football day. I was versing a lot of New Orleans Saints. tomorrow. left the game a little early. Drew Brees and Mark Indrum didn't have many touchdowns, so it was, it was a good way on that part. So it worked out pretty well, I think, but still a Sunday to go. Uh, but we're going to not be talking about football today. Instead, we're going into baseball and the MLB for agency. And I know this is a fun time for you and me. We both were Staten Island Yankee announcers for the last few years. We've dealt a lot with minor league baseball, especially with these Yankees. And for us, I mean, baseball is our favorite sport also. So this should be a lot of fun for the two of us. And I want to begin with one of the biggest name-free agents that hasn't played a single MLB game in his career, and that's Shohei Ohtani. He seems to have narrowed it down to about seven teams now, all of them being West Coast teams. But, Jose, who in your mind has the best chance to sign Ohtani?
0: Well, to me, I think it's the Seattle Mariners. And I think uh, because of that um, – I'm sorry, not Seattle. I drew a blank there. I think it's the LA Dodgers, honestly. Why? Because when you look at Ohtani, and, you know, and most of these guys who come over from Japan, they always t- seem to prefer the West Coast team anyways. Which is why it's not a surprise that a lot of these seven teams are, you know, it was like San Diego, both L.A. teams, Seattle, um, San Francisco. But I think he's going to end up choosing the L.A. Dodgers. Why? Because they already have that kind of presence there with Kensa Maeda and Hinjin Ryu. You know, they they have that um, experience dealing with players coming over from Japan. So I think the Dodgers are a good fit for him. Uh, I'd say number two is Seattle, but number one would be the Dodgers in my eyes. Why? Because they're a team that's currently winning. I think he'll look at that and say, hey, this team was literally just in the World Series. That gives me a good chance to win. And I'm pretty sure he wants to be able to hit and pitch. And that's something that he could do with the Dodgers, like we said in a previous podcast. You're looking at a pitcher who can bat fifth, be taken out of the game, and then just throw him in the field behind him so he can use his bat as well. If he goes to an American League team, he may not be able to do that. I mean, he could play the field the other four days a week and then just pitch one day a week. But to me, it's not the same It's just not the same effect as it would if he would be in a National League game. I think you would see a lot of creativity if he was in the National League. So I think the Dodgers might be a better fit for him just because, one, they have experience dealing with uh, Japanese players before. I know Seattle does have Iwakuma, and they had Ichiro in the past two, so that's why I think Seattle would be number two on the list. But in terms of his situation and him hitting and pitching, I think the Dodgers, and in terms of winning, too, Seattle hasn't proven that they can win and get to the playoffs yet. Um, right now, they've just kind of been grabbing at straws, grabbing players, trying to make their team better, and I think Seattle will be better this year. I mean, I think they had a down year last year, but I think L.A. is in a better position to win with Totani than any other, any other of these teams, honestly.
1: You know, one of the things that really stand out is the fact that this isn't about the money, which is rare to say when you talk about a professional sports player. I, normally, it's always about money decisions, money being the main factor no matter what, and for Otani, who could have waited two more years in Japan before coming to the MLB so he could get the max money, instead now he's relegated to, if he makes the MLB roster, which we all know he will, that's about a half a million, and then whatever is in the international signing bonus. And that's relegated to the most at about three and a half million. So this is not about the money for Otani, and it makes it very strange. And for me, it's, it's extremely interesting on how he chooses each team like we um, like it seems like a lot of Japanese baseball players choose West Coast it's very where Tanaka being one of the few exceptions to choose like the Yankees for example but he chose the West Coast he wanted an Arizona facility for spring training He, he wants certain things that only you know certain teams have to be able to give him and you know I do think about when you talk when he's been spoken to, he talks about Ichiro. He talks about you, Darvish. And Ichiro especially stands out to me because he spent most of his time with the Seattle Mariners. And that's a team where when a young kid watches somebody playing in the big leads, playing for a certain team, you almost have that desire to play for that team as well. And that's why I think it is Seattle that has the best chance to sign Otani. And you talked about playing the field, but necessarily Otani doesn't need to play the field it's more been his desire to hit and I think an American League team actually is a better fit for him than a National League team because yes a pitcher can hit in the games and that's great uh, if you're in the National League but you have to play him in the field you have to either put him out of position in order for him to hit every day whereas if you sign Otani and you're Seattle you know, maybe you DH him a couple games. Uh, you're seeing possibility that if it's Seattle, Nelson Cruz may have to play the outfield a couple more games a week, or then Otani has to DH. Uh, so I think there's a possibility, and if you go by what he used to do in Japan, he used to pitch on a Sunday, take the day off on Monday, bat for, I think, three or four days in a row, and then sit the next couple so that he would be ready for his Sunday start. So I think he used to play three and sit three games and then pitch one. That was pretty much his week regimen. If you do that for a player, I mean, he's not playing every day. You still have a great lineup. An American League lineup may be more fittable for him by those scenarios because you still need a hitter throughout the week in a DH spot. So I do think Otani, it can be more flexible for him on an American League team than a National League team. And you talked about the history of Seattle makes it more of a representation form. But this is an interesting part for me, because uh, I got into a conversation about Otani, and one of the concerns that the person I was talking to was that because he's going to play two positions practically, he's going to be a pitcher and he's going to be a hitter, he's going to get injured more frequently, or there is a higher possibility. Of an injury, So, Jose, does that concern you, or should that concern a GM that Otani could be putting himself in a bigger injury situation?
0: I mean, that obviously that's going to cross your mind, because injuries always happen. Injuries are a part of the game. Someone can get hurt just by playing one position. But at the end of the day, he's been doing this for a while now in Japan. It's not like he's something that he's going to be doing just as he get to the United States. I think he knows how to condition his body. Um, and I'm not going to let a fear of injury um Stop me from signing what could be a great player um, or an next great player in this generation, you know? Especially um, for
1: pennies. For pennies exactly, on the yeah. dollar when you're talking about two or three million for a guy that could be worth 200.
0: I mean, yeah, I mean, it's all about taking risks too. I mean, I'll gladly take the risk for the reward that Otani might bring me. Um, you know, again, you can't let injuries stop you from doing things. I mean, again, anybody can get hurt. The water boy can get hurt <laughs> uh, from, from doing the simplest task. So, you know, it, it really. I mean, there's always a risk of injury with whatever you do, but I'm not going to let that stop me from signing what could be a once-in-a-lifetime kind of player.
1: Yeah, there could be the risk of injury, and I think when it comes to Otani, I think the, the smart move is, I, I know we've seen a couple Japanese pitchers need Tommy John surgery or spend time on the DL or been injured, but I think Otani actually could be better off with the fact that he won't be a starter every five days if he's relegated to a a once-a-week pitching regiment or he's relegated to maybe bullpens uh, games. So I think that could actually be more of a way to protect his arm and a way to protect his shoulders than having him pitch every five days as a normal starter when he's going to be in a different almost uh, system than any other pitcher. Uh, The only... The only concern with that is, though, if you go by that idea where he's throwing only once a week instead of every five days, you're going to be changing up your entire starting pitching for this one pitcher. And to me, that's not the worst case in the world. Again, when you think of Seattle, Felix Hernandez has not been able to stay healthy that well. Uh, James Paxton has not been able to stay healthy too much. So if they are relegating starters to maybe sit starters a week, that actually could be better and less stressful on all their starters at that point. And honestly, again, it it points to Seattle for me, especially when you factor in, which we're going to get into in a moment, the D. Gordon trade, where the Mariners were able to pick up an extra million dollars and now have nearly as much money in the international money slot as the Texas Rangers. So by far, the Mariners and Rangers have the most at $3.5 each. And that puts every other team that have either a million or a half a million or 300000 it's a little bit of a difference. It's still a couple million, but again, we've also seen that money doesn't make too much of a difference for Otani at the end of the day. Uh, Overall, though, you have the Dodgers, but you also see Seattle into it. I see it just mainly being the Seattle Mariners as the team to sign them. At the end of the day, the only person that's going to make this choice is Otani, because that's what it's only been about for him. It's just choosing the team he wants to go to, and that's gonna fit his needs, but I want to stick with the Mariners for a moment because D Gordon, second baseman for the Miami Marlins, was traded to the Seattle Mariners yesterday. D Gordon was traded for Nick Niederd, 21 years old, the Mariners' number two prospect from per MLB Pipeline, and infielder Chris Torres, their number seven prospect, as well as right-hander Robert Dudder, are all headed to Miami while D Gordon is going to the Seattle Mariners. Jose, your thoughts on Gordon as a Mariner?
0: Well, I think it's a great trade for the Seattle
1: Mariners. I mean, this is a team that pride themselves on speed
0: at the top of the order. I mean, they brought in Gerard Dyson last year, which I thought was a good trade for them. Um, and, you know, it's intriguing because, you I mean, D. Gordon is a dynamic player. Um, great speed, gets on base, great hitter. Uh, he's not going to hit 20 home runs, but he's going to steal you you know, 50-plus bases if he gets the opportunity to. Um, I think he's a game-changer at the top of the order, and it's something that the Mariners need, you know, to get on base for guys like Robinson Cano, Nelson Cruz, and Kyle Seager, you know, for their big bats in the order. You know, those guys, if they come up with the bases empty, they can't drive anybody in. So I think it's a good move bringing in an on-base guy. My only concern is where is he going to play now? Because, you know, obviously Robinson Cano plays second base, and you're not going to DH Cano because, you know, Cano's fielding skills are too good to Put him as a DH, honestly. Um, You know, they still have Gene Segura, I believe, at the shortstop. No, they do not. They have – yeah, Uh, yeah, they do.
1: Gene Segura, yep.
0: Yeah, they have Gene Segura at the shortstop position, which, again, who, you know, had a a good year last year for the Mariners and deserves to be starting at shortstop again. So, you know, where do you put him there? Then third base, they have Kyle Seager. Um, So now that's realistically you're looking at an outfield spot for D Gordon. And I know he did play some outfield when he was in the Dodgers before making a full-time move to second base. But I do have concerns about him playing that position on an everyday basis. You know, Is that going to work out for him? Can he play the center field position? And I'm pretty sure he can, because he's very athletic. He's one of those athletes that probably could play any position he wants to, as long as he gets to reps in, in spring training. And again, sure, he'll be fine. But I do think this is a, a, a game-changing trade when it comes to that AL West division, especially when the Astros have already established how good they are. You watch the Texas Rangers take a step back. The Angels are still trying to figure out what they need to do to take a step forward. You know, again, Seattle finds themselves in a scenario where, hey, we can take that next step forward and be right there with the Houston Astros. And I believe D. Gordon, or at least adding D. Gordon, is a good first step in trying to make sure that they compete with the Astros going into next year from the get go.
1: Yeah, it's, it's interesting because you're essentially trading for D. Gordon, and I, I love the move. Even when you're giving up two of your top ten prospects, you're getting a guy that hit over 300 last year, 114 runs scored, and sits these stolen bases. That's your automatic leadoff hitter for the entire season. The 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 surprise part to it is you're talking about a team that has Robinson Cano already as their second baseman, and he's not going anywhere at any point. So it's going to be interesting what they're exactly planning on to doing with D Gordon, and uh, in my eyes, I'm expecting it to be where D Gordon's going to play center field, and you're talking about a team that realistically could have D Gordon, Gene Siedra, Robinson Cano, Nelson Cruz, Kyle Seager. It's it's going to be a stacked lineup offensively coming into next season that's going to put up a lot of runs, And, and D Gordon's actually a really good fit for Seattle when you talk about players that don't hit many home runs. That's Seattle. You don't really hit home runs in Seattle, Mariners, Ballpark, Safeco Park, and Gordon's not going to hit any, really, what, he hit one or two home runs last season. He's not going to do that. He's going to get on base. He's going to get himself in a scoring position, and he's got guys behind him that hit over 300 that can easily knock him in without having to hit the ball over the wall. Guys like Nelson Cruz and Robinson Cano, yeah, they can do it, but you don't have to do it if you can easily just drive home D Gordon with a base hit. And so I think this is a great move for the Mariners offensively. Defensively, I kind of question it mid-time because Gordon's only played, I think, 10 games as an outfielder and as a center fielder in the Dominican Winter League. And that was back in, I think, the 2013-2014 offseason. So he's not had much pro outfield experience. And you're talking about a guy that's going to have to be your everyday center fielder. His speed can easily handle the position. But I do question, could that affect his batting when you're talking about a player moving from their normal position to a much tougher position? Does that create a little bit more stress on the body when you're having to field a lot more ground throughout a game? So I, I am a little concerned when it comes to him playing center field, but I think offensively this is just a great move by Seattle. You know, he only costs ten million. He, they're signed for the next three years, and I love this move for the Seattle Mariners. But I was like, what does this say about the Miami Marlins? We know they want to trade Giancarlo Stanton, and and now they go out and they trade D Gordon. That was one of the other players they wanted to get rid of. They are really in full sell mode.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's no secret that they were going to be. Um, when Derek Jeter was at his press conference, he did say that this team has lost a lot of money over the past couple of years and they need to get it back, and they need to, you know, basically do this from the bottom up. Um, when you're rebuilding, there's two or three two or three things you can do. You could do it the Yankee way, where it's you still have a young core, and you trade away a couple of big pieces, which is what the Marlins could have done if they would have had a couple more prospects in the system. I mean, realistically— You know, the haul that they're going to get back for Stanton might not be a lot because of the fact that the team would have to take on its entire contract. Um, So the Marlins need to find a way to get back a good number of prospects. And how do you do that? Well, if you look at yourselves in the mirror, if it might be Marlins, you tell yourselves, we're not going to compete anytime soon. We're not going to convince free agents to come here, especially when we're trying to trade our biggest star in Giancarlo Stanton. So that means you need to clean house. And, you know, ideally, the Marlins had four people, five people, really, that you can trade. You can trade Giancarlo Stanton, which is probably going to happen. They already traded away D Gordon. Um, don't be surprised if Marcelo Suna is next. Uh, I could see them hanging on to Christian Yelich, but I, honestly, I would trade him too. And then they also have Justin Bour as well, who they can get something for too. So if you're the Marlins, it just makes no sense to hang on to any of these guys. You're not going to win in the next two to three years. Clean house, take the Astros approach, and be good in five to six years from now with your draft picks.
1: Yeah, with the Marlins, I think it's – if a player is going to get too expensive for them, that's when you have to sell them. If Bore on arbitration or Real Muto is on arbitration, you might as well keep them for a little bit longer because you don't have to get rid of them yet. Uh, but it, it almost seems like you can do one of two ways. You can do it the slow way where you can get a couple of trades done. You can hope that these prospects hit. And you can put yourself in a scenario where you're still going to have to get rid of the other guys and get other future prospects later on when you can't afford guys like Bohr, Real or a Jelic or a Zuna. Or you do it the of White Sox way and just sell everything that is not nailed to the ground, practically. So I, it's going to be interesting to see how uh, how many trades the Moments wind up doing this offseason. They already got one done with D. Gordon. We know they want to try and trade Gentile Stanton. I don't believe it's going to stop there. I still think guys like Martin Prado are expected to get traded. Obviously, he'll be f- much less value than a guy like DeGordon or Chakalistan. And from there, like you said, Ozuna, Yelich, Bohr, Real Muro, all a possibility of getting dealt. And, you know, it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate that a new owner comes in and Derek Jeter and company come in. And it's the same game plan. We have, to, we have to slash 25 to $30 million off the payroll this year. And that doesn't look like that's going to change anytime soon. So it's unfortunate that the Marlins are back with the same ownership game plan when this is one of the better offenses in baseball. Batting average-wise, going into this offseason, you're talking about a great offense. Nothing to pitch with, but a great offense. And it didn't really need too much, and instead it's an entire sell-off. So it's unfortunate for the fan base, but it is what it has to be. It's a business at the end of the day. Which in tall Stanton, though? Jose, it looks like the Giants and the Cardinals are both out for Stanton. He's not going to take off his no-trade clause for either the Giants or the Cardinals. I think that speaks for the Cardinals and Giants that they'll have an extra $25 million that they were willing to use on Stanton to go elsewhere with this free agency. But Stanton has given four teams he would most likely or accept a trade to. The New York Yankees, the Houston Astros, the Los Angeles Dodgers, and the Chicago Cubs. So give it to me as who you think from four to one, four being the least likely, one being the most likely, will get Jantalo Stanton, and why it'd be a good fit for that number one squad?
0: Well, at number four, which is the least likely, I think it's going to be the Houston Astros. Um, defending World Series champs, uh, they have a pretty solid outfield already. I mean, obviously Stanton will be an upgrade over J- uh, over Josh Reddick or Marwin Gonzalez or whoever else they play in the outfield, um, besides George Springer, who plays center. But the thing is with Stanton and the Astros is, you know, the Marlins don't want to eat any of this cash that's on his deal. I mean, you may get him to eat a couple million dollars, but I still don't feel that the Houston Astros are going to be big ballers all of a sudden and take on a huge part of that contract. I just don't see it happening. If it wasn't for the contract, I could say, yeah, you know, the Astros have the prospects. The um, They still have the prospects, believe it or not. And, you know, and I think if you notice something, all four teams that he listed are, are winners. He wants to go to a winning ball club that he knows is going to be in the playoffs. And these are the perfect four teams to say, honestly if you're staying, but in terms of money wise, I just don't see the Astros taking on more money in Giancarlo staying, especially when they took on Verlander's contract as well, too, or at least a big portion of it when they added Verlander last year. Um, I mean, the Astros, again, are not loaded with cash, so they got to be careful with how they spend their money here. And I just don't see them taking on, um, Giancarlo staying contract without dealing away a couple of their bigger salary players, like maybe Josh Reddick or something. Uh, third on the list, I have Chicago Cubs, uh, Again, Cubs have the prospects. Again, they're not another—I mean, Chicago's a big market, but Theo Epstein's not a guy who loves to spend crazy amount of money anyways unless you're overpaying guys like Jason Hayward. Um, but, again, and I don't see them taking on crazy amount of cash, and especially why, because of the Cubs, and I don't want to play speculation here, but I have a real strong feeling the Cubs are going to make a very strong push after Bryce Harper, when Harper becomes a free agent. So I don't think the Cubs want to lock themselves up with a guy like Stanton Knowing that they won't be able to afford a guy like Bryce Harper in the future, which has a big chance of coming to Chicago, especially with the brotherly love that he has with Chris Bryant both growing up in Las Vegas together. Second on the list, and I feel like first and second, these are more realistic options for Stanton. Second, I have the New York Yankees. Why, again, the Yankees have the prospects, they have the money, and New York is a perfect fit for a guy like Giancarlo Stanton. We're talking about Giancarlo Stanton, one of the biggest names in baseball right now. He loves the limelight, and that's why he loved it in Miami. He wants all eyes on him. He wants all cameras on him. We've seen it before that when the lights are on brightest, he's able to perform for big cities like Miami, like when he's in New York playing against the Mets. So I think he would love it here in New York. He'd be able to handle the media. Can you imagine a lineup with Stan and Aaron Judge in it, whether they're playing the corner outfield spots or whether one's DHing or whatnot? I think it would be a huge threat to any lineup in a Major League Baseball if you have Stanton and Aaron Judge hitting back-to-back. All the pitchers would be scared in the AL East. I mean, to me, again, the Yankees have the prospects, they have the money, and they have the winning history, um, and they've proved to, and they proven that they're not a rebuilding ball club last year. You know, this team was supposed to be rebuilding. Stan can look at the Yankees and say, well, they were rebuilding, but they also were one game away from going to the World Series, so they're not that far away from being World Series contenders. And last but not least, and I feel like I'm picking this team for everything, the L.A. Dodgers seems like it's the most likely team for Giancarlo Stanton. Hey, he's an L.A. kid. He grew up in the California area. It makes sense for him to come home. They need a big bat in that lineup. Don't get me wrong. I love what they did last year with Chris Taylor, Justin Turner, Cody Bellinger. But they need that big bat in that lineup. They need that big presence. They need another outfielder who's going to be playing every single day instead of platoons uh, for Dave Roberts. He's going to mash the ball around in Dodger Stadium. He's going to get more fans to come out there. And again, same thing. Dodgers have the prospects, but they also have the money to take on the entire contract of Giancarlo Stanton if they wanted to and you know Andrew Friedman is a guy who likes to play small market he likes to take chances on smaller name players but I think Andrew Friedman would take Giancarlo Stanton
1: in a heartbeat so for me you know it's I think all four teams can afford them. Uh, the Houston Astros may be the biggest question mark on if they can afford him, but I still think they can when you look at uh, the fact that yes, they have Justin Verlander, who's on 28 million these next two seasons, and then he's a free agent. At that point, it's very considerable, and you're still on young contracts. That you're going to have to consider signing players like a George Sprinter, like a Jose Altuve, like a Carlos Correa. But let's not take away from the fact that Carlos veltron has gone from the team. That's 16 million. They also put a four million when they traded and uh, acquired. Francisco Liriano so you're talking about 20 million right there between those two players just totally eliminated Uh, yes that probably is going to be a bigger part on why they'll be able to pay for Justin Verlander this full season but I still think you're talking about a team that's relegated to about 100 million dollars last season Uh, and for them I think their threshold should get to go higher I think you should expect the Astros to be closer to that 140 range within the next year, and especially going forward when you're talking about those players being free agents. So, I look at I put the what I mainly am looking at is can Giancarlo Stanton fit in with the outfield, or is there just not enough position spots? And that's why I have the Cubs last because you're talking about a team that has Ben Zobers, Kyle Schwarber, Jason Hayward, Ian Happ. Um, Albert Amor, Jr., and and so many other guys that are just young players that are coming up and already position players in the MLB team that if you trade for Gentile Stanton, great, where are you putting half of your team? And I think that's just more of a mismatch with the Chicago Cubs. So I have them fourth. There's just nowhere to put them. And it's the same feeling when it comes to the New York Yankees. They're another team where... Yes, CeCe Sabathia is gone, uh, and I think they have other needs that they'll have to get to, like we'll cover uh, when we talk about the Yankees, but there's just Jacoby Ellsbury, $20-plus plus million which is already a challenge in, to put him in a lineup when you're talking about a team that has Aaron Judge, Brett Gardner, Jacoby Ellsbury, Aaron Hitz, Clint Frazier, and yes, you could easily tell me that Frazier for... Giancarlo Stanton makes a lot of sense, and that'd probably be the realistic deal when it comes to uh, Giancarlo to the Yankees, but it still puts a guy, you're talking about Jacoby Ellsbury, at 20 plus million, relegated to either DHing or on the bench completely. And for a Yankees squad that's trying to get under the $189 million threshold this season to get under for the luxury tats, before we believe that the Yankees are going to go full spend mode into the next offseason where we have a bunch of players like a Bryce Harper that you mentioned, like an Andrew McCutcheon or a Dallas Keitel. So a lot of different variables come into play for that Yankee squad, and I really think the Yankees are going to wait for that year before trading for a player like Jintal Stanton where they still have a lot of pieces in the outfield. So that's why I have them at third. The Dodgers, again, it's a pat house. Uh, yes, um, Adrian Gonzalez is down to his final year at 20 plus million. And yes, we know the Dodgers are willing to spend 250 or 300 million maybe on a single season. That doesn't come as any surprise. So they can take on the 25 million like it's nothing because that's what they've been doing for so long. But to me, I think it still puts them in a little bit of a headed situation of what you do with the ASEAL plead, what you do with Cody Bellinger and Chris Taylor, Jot Peterson. There's a lot of players and not enough positions at the end of the day. Whereas Houston, already Carlos Beltran is retired. They do have an outfield position like you said, open. It's just going to be, is the money going to be a factor for them? And I don't think it should be. I really think when you look at it, the Houston Astros are looking and saying, we have a great window. We have a great team. And Next year, Dallas title is a free agent. We might not be able to sign Dallas title, or maybe we got to put money towards signing Dallas title. Uh, but as of right now, we're good to go for another championship run. As of right now, we have one of the best teams in baseball. And we have a player that is the NL MVP that hit 59 home runs last season that could go very well with our team this year. And I really think out of all teams, the Houston Astros should be making the call because they have still a pretty good farm system. It's not as good as it once was because all these guys are getting called up to the big leagues, but at the moment, there's not many positions to be relegated to. The farm system's not going to be able to go anywhere. We saw the Astros trade away players last, um, during the middle of the season to get guys like Justin Verlander, so they have the will to go for it. They have the will to spend the money, and this team used to have a lot of good stars on their team back in the early 2000s, so it tells me that they're willing to spend money at times. Uh, So I certainly think the Houston Astros are going to put a lot into their payroll this year after years of not really having anything on their payroll. So I do think the Astros and Ja'Kal Stanton create the best fit for him especially when you're talking about a player that you might have for the next 10 years, and you might as well have a DH position in case you can't play the outfield anymore. So I really like Houston as my number one pitch. So we are really a little bit of an opposite on that one. Uh, thoughts on a uh, comment on that as well.
0: No, I mean, again, it's weird because all these teams definitely could use him. and uh, there's, it, there's no question that it's going to make them better. Um, the only thing with the crowded outfield is that the, the point that you brought up with the crowded outfield is that Stanton is better than all those guys you just listed off. So the minute Stanton gets to one of these teams like the Dodgers or the Cubs or the Yankees, he automatically becomes their best outfielder and those other guys become expendable because it's Carlos Sands. So it'll be interesting to see where he goes. Um, I just, you know, I, again, I question Houston and, again, how much can they really afford?
1: Yeah, the only the only one that you could make the case for is Cody Bellinger and Aaron Judge are the only two that would keep their position, if it's first or the outfield. or. It's,
0: yeah, but, I mean, and if we're talking about Bellinger, I'd say Bellinger already kept his position at first base, honestly.
1: Yeah, and it depends what they'll do with Adrian Gonzalez on their final year. Uh, but obviously, if, if you have a chance to get in tall Stanton, you might as well make the call. You might as well see what you have to do. And even for a Yankees team, uh, Stanton Jones is, is not um, – it's not too hard to believe, because the Yankees could easily go out there and trade Brett Gardner away. And yes, you're looking at an outfield that then's looking at Ellsbury, uh, Judge, and Giancarlo. And obviously, that's going to possibly lead the lead in home runs between the three, mainly two, uh, in outfield position. But I, I certainly could see like an Aaron, uh, an Aaron Hits or Twins Fraser getting traded. To the Marlins in that type of deal, so it's it's very possible. Uh, possible, but it to me, if the Astros are willing to spend the money, I think the Astros are the top team on that list because of the fact they already have an open position spot, and they wouldn't have to get too hectic with trying to deal outfielders this off season. So I think their job would be just paying a player, then having to make okay, we just made one move, now we have to make maybe two others. To really fill out our entire team. And I think that's one of the things that stands out between Houston and the other three. Uh, one of the big things I, I love about free agency is trying to predict where players are going to go. Uh, it's Sometimes we get uh, a complete hit, and then sometimes it's a complete surprise. And uh, we're definitely going to try a couple players and a decent amount of the guys that were on the qualified offered list. So I want to start with. Eric Hosmer, and Eric Hosmer played for the Kansas City Royals, first baseman. But Jose, where do you see him most likely ending up this free agency?
0: For Eric Hosmer, I have him down going to the Boston Red Sox. Um, I think Boston, you know, they another first round elimination for them. They were a little bit embarrassed at that. Their offense looked putrid uh, come the playoffs. And I think Boston, you know, especially when Dave Dombrowski is your GM, he's always going to go out there and try to sign the biggest name possible. This guy. Um, It may not be the smartest decision for Boston to sign Eric Hosmer, but I think they're going to anyway. It's because it's Dave Dombrowski because he wants to make the big splash. Um, You know, I know they have Mitch Moreland at first base, which is fine. Moreland's a good first baseman. I like Mitch Moreland. Uh, But Hosmer is kind of an upgrade over him at first base. Uh, Hosmer, the only thing that concerns me about Hosmer is that he is entering A's 28, 29 season. So it's supposed to be his prime. And he's only hit, what, over 25 home runs once in his career. Um, So... He's not that big threat first baseman that most teams think he is, uh, but I think the Red Sox are going to be the ones to overpay him um, and bring him in. I can also see Texas being a factor in for him, uh, but with Texas having Adrian Beltre and especially the emergence with Joey Gallo last year, I think those put those, um, that put those rumors to bed for me. I think Hosmer really only has one spot besides Kansas City, and that's over in Boston.
1: Yeah, I'm, I am with you. There are a lot of good first base os- options this offseason you yeah, have, Matt, out. I- Adams yonder Alonso, uh, I'll even just Lucas her in that midst as well uh, Mark Reynolds Carl Santana but really I think mean, Boston is the choice uh, and Boston for Eric Hosmer they need a first baseman they they do not have any options at first base right now it's Sam Travis a, a rookie I, I think this is a team that has some extra money especially with a lot of the Boston Red Sox young players being still Low-salaried arbitration-eligible contracts that you could see Boston really trying to go get another hitter, adding an Eric Hosmer to mainly the the middle or the very beginning of that lineup. I I could see Hosmer batting uh, pretty much at like a second spot or as low as like a sit spot. And you're talking about a very talented position player that's hitting nearly 300 uh, on a consistent basis, and this is a guy that. Again, last season, 318 batting average, 25 home runs, 94 RBIs, and 98 runs toward This is a guy you definitely want in your lineup on a consistent basis. He's not going to hit you 30, 40 home runs, but he's going to get you a 300 average at the end of the day. He's going to be a consistent hitter. He doesn't miss time. I think he played 162 games last season. So he's going to be an everyday player for you. Uh, I think that's a good fit for Boston. I expect Boston to really try and make a push on one of the top first basemen. And when you're talking about the Boston Red Sox, you're always expecting them to go for the top type of player for a position. Eric Hosmer is the top first baseman in this free agency. I think it's a perfect fit for the Boston Red Sox. Let's look at Eric Hosmer's teammate as well when he was with Kansas City. Mike Moustakis, third baseman uh, for the Kansas City Royals, now a free agent. Jose, where do we have... Mike Moustak
0: just winding up. Well, as you mentioned, I think Mike Moustak is going to end up in the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, We mentioned before that they are out of the running for Giancarlo Stanton, so they do have some money to spend. And I do think the Cardinals do need an upgrade in their offense. They need a big-time left-handed bat. Or I'm not even sure if Moustakis is left-handed. But Moustakis might be a good fit for the Cardinals. Why? Because they have the versatility to play around with. You can play some third base, and they can move Matt Carpenter to a different position. Um, The Cardinals were dreadful in offense this year, and they do need some moves uh, to be made. Um, I know they have some prospects that they have in the infield and stuff like that, but I think Moustakis might be a guy that I could see them going after and get. Just to to establish another big bat in that lineup, I think he'll fit right in, because he did play in Kansas City, so almost most likely the same state moving over to across cross, uh, technically a quote, division, uh, cross-town rival, I should say, if you're going from Kansas City to St. Louis. But I think Moustakis to the Cardinals makes a lot of sense in a lot of ways for them.
1: So I have Moustakis staying in the American League, but traveling West Coast to the Los Angeles Angels. And you look at them, they need a third baseman. They always have, they're the type of team that has a lot of money, but doesn't seem to always be spending it. And I think this is the right move for the Angels, because This is a team, Justin Upton, Mike Trout, Albert Pujols, all righties. And I think you really could look at the team and say, we need a left-handed batter, a left-handed middle-of-the-order batter to fit in between a lot of these guys. And out of a lot of these hitters, there's really only one or two left-handed top batters. And Mike Mustachis is one of them. They need a third baseman. I think you'd be great defensively. On the left side of the infield, you're talking out of – Simmons and then Mustata. I mean, these are two type of old lovers. Uh, on the left side of the infield, you're you're looking at a much improved Angels lineup with the added of Mike Mustata. And I'm looking for the Angels to really put some money down here and go after Mustata. I know the Angels have a lot of needs, and it's not going to be replaced in the farm system that ranks either 30th or 29th in the MLB for the last couple of years. But this is a right move for them. It's going to put up it really some protection in the middle of the lineup for these guys like Justin Upton or Mike Trout or Al Pools because you need a lefty there. You need a lefty at times in that lineup. And it's not just at the end of the day. This is a top home run hitter for them. Uh, let's stay with the final Royal. And this is tough for the Kansas City Royals. I mean... Uh, you're talking about the first-baseman goal-glover, a third-baseman old glover and guys that hit so many home runs for you. And also, your center fielder as well, Lorenzo Kane. all three agents. It's going to be nearly impossible for Kansas City to really be the team that they were two years ago when they were winning the World Series and going to the World Series in back-to-back years without these three players in their lineup. But uh, Lorenzo Cain as well. Uh, Righty in center field last season. 15 home runs, 49 RBIs in 155 games. Where do you see Kane playing?
0: Well, for Lorenzo Kane, it's interesting. I'm going to choose a team that you just chose. I was going to choose the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim um, because why? Because this is a team that again they're trying to rebuild a lot of things. As you said, they don't really have a lot of prospects to help fill the voids that they have. And I do think that yes, they kind of have an established outfield. But if they have Mike Trout, Lorenzo Kane, and Justin Upton all in the same outfield. That's going to do them a lot of good. It'll allow them to trade a guy like Cole Calhoun either for starting pitching or for some other areas where they really need it in the outfield as well, too. So for the Angels, I think Kane is a great defender. I can see Kane going to a lot of different places. To me, he's a wild card. I think no matter where we guess, it could be something completely different. I think Lorenzo Kane's going to be that guy where it's like, whoa, I didn't think he was going to sign there. And he'll go out there and sign there, honestly. But I do have the Angels at the top of my list um, to get Lorenzo Kane. I also have teams like the Toronto Blue Jays in the mix even in New York Mets, um, a lot of other National League teams. But I think the Angels are going to come out on top and shed the most cash, honestly, to Lorenzo Cain.
1: Yeah, Cain is one of the more challenging players because of the fact that you look at center field and there's not many center fielders in this free agency uh, to give the list, like Rajah Davis, Jared Dyson, Carlos Gomez, Curtis Randerson, Does he still count as a center fielder? He's listed on this one. Has. Um,
0: <laughs> I wouldn't, but Yeah, sure.
1: and, and Cavern Maven. So this isn't really going to be a standout list for center fielders. If you're willing to take a chance on a guy like Carlos Gomez, or if you think Cameron Maben can do something a little bit more this year like he was last season. But overall, there's only one center fielder on this list, and it's Cain, Kanan. Plenty of teams can use a center fielder that hit 300 last season, 150-plus games played, and one of the best defensive center fielders in baseball. Uh, for me, I'm looking at... The, also, a West Coast team, but the San Francisco Giants, now, this is a team that still has a lot of money. They have guys like Matt Cain coming off the rock, their team, and yes, they have some questionable moments when it comes to their starting pitching, uh, especially when you're talking about the uh, fifth starter and even a little bit of how reliable are some of their starters. But you look at the outfield, and it's Denard Span in center field, Hunter Pence in right field, and then it's a little bit of, okay, which young player are we going to play? I really like the idea of you bring in Lorenzo Cain, you have him in center field, it's a very, very spacious park. And it seems like the right move because you're also going to move Denard Span out of center field. And Spann has had some struggles with staying healthy. He was pretty good staying healthy last season. But if you're able to move him to a corner position like left field all of a sudden, it's still a good defensive spot for him. And you got Lorenzo in center. So you get a better center fielder. You get a better chance to keep Denard Span healthy. You need the extra offense in your lineup. I think that's something San Francisco really struggled with last season. Just not having enough offense at times. Especially when the pitchers just weren't able to perform well. Especially I'm looking at you, Johnny Cueto. But I think this is a good fit for the San Francisco Giants if they're able to get themselves Lorenzo Cain this offseason. Uh, Let's look at some starting pitchers. And first one on the list, how about Jake Arrieta? Where do you have him going?
0: For Jake Arrieta, surprisingly, I have have him staying put uh, with the Chicago Cubs. I think the Cubs are going to shell out the cash. uh, I think they're going to meet halfway. Or... You know, I don't see. You know, you saw Arietta kind of making threats. Oh, I'm not gonna take a hometown discount. I'm not gonna do this. I don't believe all that. I think Jake Arietta knows that the Cubs window is still very large to try and win this thing. Um, you saw a team that's still very young, and I believe Arietta is still a big part of that pitching staff. I mean, John Lester's getting older with age. Kyle Hendricks, you know, he took a little bit of a step backwards next year, and Arietta was hurt for majority of the year, so I don't think he's gonna get that big contract that he's seeking. And again. He has a chance to be a part of a dynasty here in Chicago Cubs. I don't think Arietta's going to be dumb enough to pass that up. I think, you know, when it comes to starting pitching, obviously there's always a market for starting pitching. So obviously he's going to test the waters. I could see a team like the Angels being in on him. I could see a team like the Giants being in on him. I could pretty much see almost every team, you know, with an exception of a few, being in on Jake Arietta. But to me, if you're Arietta, do the right thing. Go back to the Cubs. You still have a chance to win this thing and create a dynasty over there. I see Arietta going back to Chicago.
1: You know, uh, Chicago Cubs signed Tyler Chatwood. We'll talk about that in a little bit as well. But I I think with that move, the Cubs are not going to go after starting pitching at that point. And I think they're going to say, you know, Jake Arrieta, you didn't want to come to us for maybe a little bit of a discount. Good luck to you. And I think Arrieta will fit well with the Seattle Mariners. I think the Seattle Mariners really need to get themselves – another pitcher at this point. This is a team that makes a ton of trades, and you're seeing their payroll contens- consistently to go up, and I think Arietta becomes the right move at the right time for this team. When you talk about an offense that's already there, I, I think at this point, Seattle, if they don't go after Jake Arietta, maybe they'll go and get Lance Lynn, or, or Darvish, or another viable top starting pitcher, but I certainly expect them to go after one of them. I'm going to put Jake Arrieta to the Seattle Mariners, and because Seattle does dish it out sometimes, large contracts to older players at times, or that's players that you'd expect them to go back home, like a Robinson Cano, we've seen him sign Nelson Cruz, I think this is another one where you can expect them. So I have Jake Arrieta to the Seattle Mariners, so I think that's going to be where he goes. Speaking about Lance Lynn, let's look at him for a moment. Uh, Lance Lynn, he's one of the few players that was not traded in the middle of the season by the Chicago Cubs, uh, not by by the St. Louis Cardinals. So he will have uh, the qualifying offer and the first round draft pitch attached to him as well. But Jose, where do you have him going?
0: Well, I have Lance Lynn going to our favorite team, Nick, the New York Mets. Um, I think Lance Lynn that makes, makes too much sense. I, I think it makes too much sense for him, or not for well, maybe not for him, but it makes too so much sense for the Mets to go out there and sign Lance Lynn. This is a guy that I know he had Tommy John surgery recently, but for the most part, he's out there every single day on that field, and the Mets do really do need a healthy starter. They need someone who they're going to rely on besides DeGrom and Syndergaard, and even them have had their health issues, but at least you know we can count on those too. But the Mets do need that veteran starting pitcher that they know is going to be out there for 28 starts, 29 starts a year, and that's Lance Lynn. Uh, It's a guy with a career ERA in the threes, and you're not asking for much, and you put him in City Field, his ERA might get even lower. Um, Again, this is a guy that knows how to win. He's played for a championship team with the St. Louis Cardinals, and he's not going to be the ace. He's going to be a three or four guy that's going to allow you to move some pieces around and not have to have a big question mark over your head saying, well, what's going to happen with our three, four, five guys? You know, I feel like Lance Lynn is a given you could pencil him in for 28 starts a year. He's going to give you 10 wins a year. He's going to have the ERA just above three, but most importantly, he's going to be healthy and give you a chance to win every fifth night.
1: Lancelin, 30 years old. it will be about 31 when the season starts. Uh, this is a guy that, yeah, like you said, had an injury part, uh, but come came back 3.43 ERA, 11-8 and eight this season. Just an extremely good year on a consistent basis. 150 strikeouts, over 150 strikeouts, 33 games started. I expect him to go back to the National League Central, but to the Milwaukee Brewers. And you look at the Milwaukee Brewers, Zach Davies, Chase Anderson, Junior Guerrero, Jimmy Nelson. Uh, the The highest amount of experience on this team, as far as starters, goes to Jimmy Nelson with four years, or five at most. It's not a very experienced starting pitching squad. The Brewers played very well last season, just missing the playoffs, going 80-sits and 70-sits last year. I think this is one of those moves that the Brewers would really love to make. You take a starting pitcher away from one of your division rivals. You insert him as your top ace of the team. You have the money to do so. Milwaukee may not be one of the highest salary teams, but when you're talking about a team that their entire starting pitching, all is arbitration or low money salary players. You can go out and spend some big money on a player like Lance Lynn, and he can really put some real depth into that starting pitching, put some real trust into that starting pitching. I think that could be the difference maker for the Milwaukee Brewers going into next season. To take somebody of an ace material from a rival, insert it into your starting pitching staff. I, again, it's, it's a questionable moment where it's like, you know, I, I could see Jake Arrieta winding up somewhere. I could see Lance Wynn or, or Hugh Darvish. One of those three basically swapping with the other. This is one of those moves where Mil- Milwaukee is one of those teams I'm very much interested about. And I think they're going after a top starter. And it's most likely going to be from one of their division rivals. I firmly expect it to be Lance Wynn till the Milwaukee Brewers. How about you, Darvish, as one of the other top starters? Where do we have him going, Jose?
0: For you, Darvish, interesting enough, I have him actually going to Seattle. Um, This is a guy that I think, you know, I think he benefited a lot from playing in the American League. I mean, the National League wasn't too kind for him, especially around playoff time. But I think you Darvish will, will end up eventually going back to the American League. I feel like he knows the AL West pretty well. Um, it would be a stab in the back to the Texas Rangers if he ends up with uh, the Seattle Mariners. But again, I think the Mariners are willing to spend the cash this year. They're going to need a starting pitcher as well, too, because they're another rotation that gets hurt a lot. Felix Hernandez can't stay healthy. Um, James Paxton was having a great great year until he got hurt last year. Iwakuma is always a question mark. You know Wade Miley's in there, too. Um, so... The thing is, with Seattle, is they need a, they need another starting pitcher. Need an ace, honestly. Not that Felix Hernandez is not an ace, but he's an ace that can't stay healthy. So they need an ace that's going to be there. And I feel like Yu Darvish in that ballpark is going to be very hard to hit off of. I mean, he had great numbers in the Texas Rangers ballpark, which is a bandbox. Can you imagine him pitching in Safeco? How low his ERA will be and how many less home runs he'll give up? I think, especially with the way he pitched in the playoffs, I feel like him going to Seattle, pitching in that ballpark, would be a huge confidence booster for him.
1: I really could see you Darvish going back to the Los Angeles Dodgers. I I know just looking at the roster, they have Rich Hill, Alex Wood, Hingen Roo, Kenta Maeda, Clayton Kershaw, of course you can't forget him, Scott Casimir, Brandon McCarthy, and even young pitchers as well, like Julio Uralis. So yes, you can tell me they have eight or nine starting pitchers, but half of them don't even play. They can't even stay healthy. Uh, you, I think, makes it a right choice, and I think the Dodgers really liked him. He did struggle in the postseason. I don't think that's going to be too much of a blemish on him. This is still one of the best pitchers in all of baseball, one of the best righties in all of baseball, one of the top strikeout pitchers. He just really struggled when it came to the playoffs this season. I don't look at that as one of those moments where we have to really go hard on you, because of that, but you know, I to expect to Los Angeles. The Dodgers, in my mind, or even the Angels, but certainly I expect a bid splash from one of these Los Angeles teams to sign you Darvish. Uh, so I'm expecting it's going to be either the Angels or the Dodgers. I'm going to give it to the Dodgers just because they had your Darvish, uh, but certainly I expect one of these West Coast teams of those two to sign you Darvish. Uh, let's take a look at some outfield. And J.D. Martinez... Where do you have him going?
0: For J.D. Martinez, I actually have him going to the Toronto Blue Jays. I think the Toronto Blue Jays are going to try and salvage the window that they had. Um, I know Josh Donaldson's going to be a free agent in a year or two. So they're going to try and do that. You know, Jose Bautista is on his way out. They signed him to a one-year deal last year. Didn't quite work out. He wasn't exactly that great this year. Um, You still have a team that has Donaldson. They have Tulewitzki. They still have guys like Aaron Sanchez, Marcus Stroman. You know, last year was a terrible year for the Blue Jays. If they spend the money in the right places, this is a team that can contend again rather quickly. Um, And I say spend the money because I don't think they have enough prospects to make any impact trades, honestly. So if they spend a good amount of money on that bullpen, I think it'll help. I think if they bring in a starter or two, it's going to help them as well too. But if the Toronto Blue Jays bring in J.D. Martinez, it gives them that big bat in the outfield to replace what Bautista was back when he was in his, you know, I guess more prime days in his early 30s, I guess, than he is now. I really think J.D. Martinez would be a good fit in that lineup. Um, it gets them a big bat. Uh, Toronto, again, is another team that's willing to spend money. J.D. Martinez is going to want that big contract ever since he had that hot second half, and apparently Scott Boris called him King Kong. I'm not sure I get the reference there. But, um, you know, for the most part, I think Toronto would be a good fit for him. You're looking at a team that's going to be desperate to try to win because they know with Donaldson approaching his early 30s, realistically – is Donaldson coming back to uh, Toronto? Should you re-sign Donaldson when he's a free agent? They're going to try and go for it now, and signing J.D. Martinez is not such a bad idea either. Yeah,
1: J.D. and J. Bruce, I think, are going to be uh, the interesting ones where uh, one is going to go, uh, basically, I heard a miss. Either I think one team is going to be trying to chase after J.D. and Bruce and Settle on one or the other. I have JD going to the Cleveland Indians. I, you look at the team; they just lost Carlos Santana. There's a good chance that the Indians will sign Carlos Santana back, but uh, assuming they don't, you look at their outfield and they have an open spot. And it just seems like the right moment. You had Jay Bruce on the team. JD Martinez hit 45 home runs last year. You can add that to righty into your lineup. I think it's a good fit for the Cleveland Indians if they go out. And they go for JD Martinez, and I think it's, you know, it, it puts another proof that the Indians are yet again going for putting some big money behind another free agent player to try and get to the World Series, to try and win the World Series. And I I like the fit of JD Martinez going back to the American League. How about Jay Bruce? Where is Jay Bruce going to wind up, as well?
0: Well, I think you just said I actually had Jay Bruce going back to Cleveland. I mean. Um, this is a guy that really benefits from being in a small market town. Uh, you saw that when he got back to Cleveland. Um, not back to Cleveland, but when he was traded to Cleveland from the Mets, this guy was just clicking on all cylinders. I'm not sure Jay Bruce is a big media guy. I don't think he's a big city guy. So putting him in a team like the Mets, although he did good his second year with the Mets, um, you know there was still some doubts there. You could tell that when he first got here, the pressure of being the guy that was brought in to help this team really affected him. He didn't have a good second half of the Mets the first year that he was here. Um, so this is a guy that benefits from being in a blue collar town like Cleveland, where all they do is work hard and go out there and play the game of baseball. You saw that when he was in Cincinnati, it's the same thing when he was in Cleveland. So I could see him going to really any small market team, but I think why not go back to Cleveland again, a team that was, you know, in the world series two years ago, almost made back to the ALCS last year. Jay Bruce was a big reason why. They had that second half surge in that win streak. I think he really enjoyed himself playing over there, too. So I see Jay Bruce going back to Cleveland. So I
1: have Jay Bruce going to the New York Mets. I think the Mets are.
0: Shame. Shame on you, Nick.
1: You don't want him back? I don't want him back. No? No. Uh, I don't know if I want him back. I'd rather have JD Martinez than Jay Bruce. But I think there's just going to be that fan surgeon's that the Mets need to make a signing they need to bring in a bat they need to bring back Jay Bruce and I think there would be more of an outcry if the Mets don't bring him back Uh, so I do think this is a good fit for the two teams they do have the open outfield position the Mets do have a lot of money that came off the books last season I know they're trying to get under that 150 million dollar mark they certainly can with all the players that they wound up trading and you looked at them there are other needs, yes, I I, I know that, but I, I just think that you're making a bitter mistake by not signing a J. Bruce or a J.D. Martinez for that extra outfield position that you so desperately need to sign when you talk about the fact that right field has predominantly been played by either J. Bruce or Curtis Randerson. And it's a consistent 150 plus games by one of those players. Now, yes, both of them are left-handed bats. That's why I'm picking Jay Bruce over JD Martinez because I think the Mets will go back to having a lefty bat in that position. But there's just too much consistency from that position spot to go into the 2018 season without that without that uh, spot being there. I think it's just too silly for the Mets to do. I think Jay Bruce is the perfect fit. Yeah, I know. I didn't really like saying it either, but it's one of those things where it had to be said. Um, mm-hmm. how, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, how about some closers? Uh, we got Wade Davis and Greg Holland. Give us where you think each one of those are going.
0: I think Wade Davis ends up going to the Washington Nationals. I think this is a team that wanted to trade for him um, when he was available through the Cubs. They couldn't get the deal done, um, so you know I, I think it's a perfect fit for him as well too. He goes to a team that needs a closer. I wouldn't be surprised if he goes back to the Cubs. I mean, because of the Joe Madden experience, he's got he likes Joe Madden. Uh, Joe Madden knows his closer. He's played for him in the past when they were in Tampa. Um, who knows if he enjoyed his time in Chicago? But for Washington, they're going to need a better bullpen anyway. So I think Washington can shell out a little bit more cash than the Cubs. I think the Nationals are just a little bit more desperate to spend for a closer. And they'll end up getting Wade Davis. But he could very easily go back to Chicago as well.
1: So I have Greg Holland going to the Washington Nationals. This is a team that's needed a closer. We saw them try and tr- make some trades. I, not to take anything away from you know, the Oakland A's trade that they did with the Nationals. It worked out great for the Nationals. But this is one of those scenarios where you just need to get a closer. I think Greg Holland is the right choice. He pitched extremely well for the Colorado Rockies, and I think this is just one of those moves that seem like the right fit. For the San Francisco Giants, I I really like them to go after a closer as well, or a setup man type pitcher. I think, as, um, sorry, not the San Francisco Giants. Um, I don't know why I had that wrong in my uh, list. Uh, Wade Davis to the Chicago Cubs. I completely botched that sentence but uh Wade davis to the cubs again this is one of those situations where same coach you had back when you were on the tampa bay rays you go, it went back to chicago i think this is the right move these are two teams cubs and nationals that are consistently competing in the national league consistently competing for the playoffs and they both need one thing right now and that's closer and I think they're both going to go out there look to sign closers, look to sign a little bit of vegetable pen help, and that's really going to be both of these same team needs for them, and I think that's what's going to happen for the Cubs and Nationals. It could be a flip-flop, it could be Wade Davis to Nationals, Greg Holland to the Cubs, but certainly, I think closers are going both to the Cubs and Nationals. Uh, lastly, let's just take one fun one and CC Sabathia. CC uh, Sabathia, played so many years for the New York Yankees, a free agent. I don't expect them going back to the New York Yankees, Jose, but where do you have him going?
0: So this might be an interesting one. I have him going actually to the Oakland A's. Um, you know, this is a guy that I don't think the Yankees are going to bring him back. And I do feel bad for the Yankees because it is a scenario where, you know, you have, you know, CC obviously has been a big part of the Yankees' success over the past couple of years. He's also had some down years. The guy pitches phenomenal last year. By by the way, I think he got robbed at a Comeback Player of the Year award. But he pitches phenomenal. And the Yankees are kind of left there saying, well, we were kind of banking on you not being good again. That way we have an excuse not to resign you. But now you look like you're putting it together at the right time and maybe figuring out, hey, I can still pitch without throwing 90-plus. And it looks like that's what happened with CeCe. It looks like he learned how to pitch without throwing his hard stuff last year. And now he's finally back in his groove. But if you're the Yankees, you can't be fooled by that. Would I be opposed to the Yankees bringing him back? Definitely not, because he could be your fifth starter. And with that great bullpen that they still have, you're only asking him to go five or six innings a game still. Maybe even only five. So again, that's not a bad thing. It's not the end of the world either. Before CC, I think he goes back to Oakland. Why? I think Sabathia is nearing the end of his career. I think if the Yankees don't want him, I find it very hard him going to any other team. I don't see him going to a division rival like Boston. I don't see him coming to the Mets like people are saying. I think if the Yankees don't want CeCe Sabathia... He either retires or he goes to his hometown team of the Oakland A's where he grew up to finish out his career for a year or two, possibly.
1: So I have CC to the uh, Baltimore Orioles. Uh, It just seems like one of those teams. We saw Baltimore trade for Jeremy Hellitsen in in, uh, the middle of last season. They're a team that just needs some starting pitchers. And a lot of times you're seeing Baltimore bring in some younger players, uh, from their up and coming prospects. And I think CC could be that mentoring type pitcher, that innings eater. Uh, I guess I'm using that as an ironic word when you think of it. But uh, the guy that can just go out there, throw you five sits innings consistency. Baltimore's got still a very strong offense behind them at the end of the day. So even if CC's giving up four runs, he's not pitching himself out of a ball game because Baltimore should be expected to score a lot. And again, I think that mentoring veteran presence is what CC can provide right now. And I think that's teams, uh, certain teams can look at it that way and go that route. Even a team like the Milwaukee Brewers, I know I mentioned Lance Lynn, but they could go for more of a veteran presence than more of a star pitching presence when it comes to that young type team. I think Baltimore, it's a good fit. It keeps him in the American League, it still keeps him close by from where he's been for the last decade with the New York Yankees. It just seems like a good fit with the Baltimore Orioles. So, obviously we're from New York, and we're going to just look at the Yankees and Mets for their biggest needs. So let's start with the New York Mets, Jose. What are the biggest needs for the Mets?
0: Well, number one on my list for the Mets is bullpen. Um, I can't stress enough, every year we always seem to be talking about how bad the bullpen is. Let's address the bullpen, finally, Sandy Alderson. And the reason why I say that is because last year was a terrible year from top to bottom for the Mets, Correct. But they did trade away Addison Reed, and they did kind of get a steal back in which they got three relievers. I thought they were going to get a one-for-one trade, a minor league prospect for Reed. They ended up getting three. Now, these guys don't sound like they're lights-out prospects, but hey, you still got three people for Addison Reed. I think it's a steal within itself. And then the Mets go and shock you and bring in A.J. Ramos, which I love that trade. You trade away two prospects who may or may not pan out. Miranda Gonzalez had a lot of um, uh, a lot of potential, so that was a little bit of a tough loss. But you get a good reliever AJ Ramos who had a bad year last year I expect him to bounce back so you look at that bullpen and you look at Jerry's familia who should be healthy this year and when he's healthy he's a pretty good reliever except when it comes to the playoffs but you have AJ Ramos you have Jerry Blevins back for another year under a cheap amount of money by the way I should say those three guys alone are not going to be enough to help you get by we've seen it where that we're in a day and age where bullpens run this game of baseball Look at the past couple of winners in the World Series. I mean, besides the Astros, who really had to use their starters out of the pen. But before that, look how successful the Yankees were with their bullpen. Look how successful the Royals were with their bullpen. The Indians with their bullpen. The bullpen is the name of the game these days. Starters going five or six innings and letting that bullpen take over. And for the Mets, they have a good back three there. And I'm saying this now, I don't want to see Jerry Blevins as a lefty specialist anymore. I think Blevins has proven that he can go out there and get righties out as well as lefties. So Familia, Ramos, Blevins. I still want to see one more guy added to this mix. And this is a guy that manager Mickey Callaway is, f- is uh, familiar with. I want to see the Mets bring in Brian Shaw as example. I think he's a tremendous right-handed reliever. He can complement Blevins very well in the sixth and seventh inning earlier in the ball game. And again, he has like, a good relationship with Mickey Calloway. He knows what Mickey Calloway likes. Mickey Calloway knows what Brian Shaw likes, very familiar with him, knows in what situations he can put him in. And most importantly, Calloway knows he can trust them. So those four guys would be a good back end of that bullpen. And you add three relievers from last year, you could bring back Josh Smoker. You can use one of the guys that you got in the eyes and retrain. But under no circumstances do I want to see Hansel Robles back. But for the Mets, they, yeah, I mean, they need bullpen help. But the number one guy I want to see them target is Brian Shaw or someone of that nature. A Brian Shaw type guy that can come in in the seventh inning and get some huge outs for you. Um, so I think Brian Shaw is the guy to look at. Second on my list for the New York Mets is starting pitching. We mentioned it before. They need a veteran starter, whether it's a guy like Lance Lynn or a guy, I'm not saying this guy is available, but someone like Mike Leak, where you know he's going to make 28 starts, you know he's going to make 29 starts in a year, you know he's going to be healthy, and you know he's going to give you some solid outings. I'm not saying we need to bring in an ace. We need to bring in a guy that's going to go seven shutout innings. I just need a guy that's going to come in here and pitch six innings every fifth day and pitch a decent ball game and keep you in the game to win it. Um, I think there are a lot of guys out there via trade like that that are not going to cost you a lot of prospects, but also a guy like Lance Lynn is out there. So keep your eye on that, which for the market, too. The Mets need that third or fourth starter that you know is going to be healthy, which allows you to assess the back end of the rotation a little bit better. And maybe get some of those guys fired up in the back end saying, hey, hold on. So DeGrom, Syndergaard and a veteran is going to get the first three spots. Meaning there's only two spots for the rest of those guys it might make them step it up and get their act together, especially when it comes to their health as well, too. And last but not least, I have second base. Um, Now, don't get me wrong. I would be happy to have Wilma Flores play every day as well as TJ Rivera. I like those guys. But realistically, I think those guys have proven that they're only good for a short amount of time. Once they start playing every single day, you see them start to wear down because they're just not everyday players. So I think the Mets really need to find an everyday second baseman. D Gordon would have been at the top of my list for that, but now he's unavailable um, so you look at guys like Ian Kinsler. I think Ian Kinsler's a little bit on the older side. I wouldn't necessarily want to see him, uh, honestly, uh, with the New York Mets. So why not call a team like Tampa Bay, who has a couple of infielders for a cheap option? You can call the Cubs. Mets have pitching. Cubs have some decent, um, you know, some decent infielders they can give away. Uh, so you know, make that trade. Make a trade for a second baseman. Uh, it doesn't look like the second base market is going to be that good this year in terms of free agency. So I don't know who realistically you can sign. And even going into next year, I don't see many options for the Mets at second base either at the free agent market. So this might be one that they need to get through trade or you give Gavin Tachini a shot. But you need, to get, you need to get a realistic, everyday option in at second base this year that's not named Wilma Flores and not named TJ Rivera. No disrespect to those guys. I just don't think those guys are everyday players, though.
1: So I look at the Mets and I say they have really two big needs. Uh, third base... David Wright, you don't know if he can trust him being healthy. Uh, Certainly, if you get the most from it's it's 100 games. I even expect less than that. Uh, So you need a consistent player that's going to be at third base. I I like Wilmer Flores, at the idea of playing at third, or second. I don't think the Mets should be looking to re-sign Neil Walker, which still puts you at a position where you need to fill a spot. I don't really want to be in his dribble career. I don't know if why the Mets are even considered bringing a bat for this season, but it's really going to be those two positions, second and third. You really need a guy that can play both of those spots at the end of the day. And this is where it gets a little confusing because you still want somebody that's viable defensively at a position like that. And for me, this is the real target, but you have to go out and sign Eduardo Nunez is really the player I'm looking at for the New York Mets. This is the right move when you think of the fact that Eduardo Nunez can play second, he can play third, he can even play shortstop if you need, although I don't see a reason why when you have a meta Rosario, but the Mets always do question a lot of things when it comes to their young players. Uh, but this is one of those situations where it's the perfect fit. You need a player in the top of the order. Maybe it's not going to be a Med Rosario, but it could be Eduardo Nunez at that point, where he can play third base some days, where instead of him playing third, he can play second base, depending on if Wilma Flores is struggling or not. But you do want a guy like Nunez's bat in every day, and you may want a guy like Wilma Flores playing on a consistent basis over de Cabrera. L- looking at his stats last season, he hit three thirteen. Imagine if the Mets had a guy in the leadoff position that actually hit this season going in, instead of when they were projecting what Jose Reyes in that spot. For a while, Michael Conforto played the position. But if Conforto's back healthy, and you're looking at a guy like Conforto, you can move down a little bit in that lineup. This is the right move for the New York Mets to go after a guy like Eduardo Nunez. It was what their game plan was when you think of that Jose Reyes as Dribble Cabrera-type player that could play second, that could play short, that could play third. Eduardo Nunez fits all that, except he's an even better hitter. When you're talking about a guy who... I'll look up... 313 batting average, 24 stolen bases, 7 times he got toward 12 home runs, and 30-plus doubles in 114 games played. That That's something you want. That's something where it's, okay, a 300-plus batting average, a guy that's stealing nearly 30 times a season if he plays a, a max amount of games, and he's still going to hit me over 10 home runs, and still going to get over 30-plus doubles? Yeah, this is the guy the New York Mets must go after over the choices of an outfield position it's Eduardo Nunez by far looking at the New York Yankees though uh, they just came with a new manager in Aaron Boone so let's start with that Jose your thoughts on the Yankees signing new manager Aaron Boone
0: well I think it's actually an interesting choice I mean obviously he has no managerial experience but sometimes it doesn't always matter these days Um, a lot of people question the move but hey This is a guy that it's not like he doesn't know anything about baseball. His father was a baseball player. His brother was a baseball player. And no, Aaron Boone was not an all star, but he was still a decent baseball player even when he played, you know? And on top of that, one thing that I'm impressed with with Aaron Boone, if you watch a lot of the Sunday night baseball games on ESPN, is his knowledge in analytics. He's always talking about, you know, the spin rate of baseballs, or, you know, they always throw it to Aaron Boone when they're talking about analytics in baseball. And that's where the game is trending now. This game is about being able to, when you're a manager, being able to manage analytics and also being able to manage egos in a clubhouse. If you can do both of those things, you're a good manager in baseball. And I feel like Aaron Boone has a great understanding on analytics. And I can see him being a Dave Roberts type manager where, hey, Dave Roberts wasn't an all-star either in his MLB career. But Dave Roberts is a pretty good manager. Why? Because he knows what it's like to be a player in that clubhouse. He knows how to manage egos. I mean, he's done it with the L.A. Dodgers, right? Uh, And, you know, there's not a lot of big egos on the Yankees either, so that might be easy for Aaron Boone to do. Um, And on top of that, he has a good knowledge of analytics and what's going to be expected of him. Um, And I just feel like Aaron Boone, he's one of those choices where it's like, really, you're going to choose Aaron Boone? But he's going to be one of those guys that's going to wow you with his managerial skills.
1: Yeah, this is – it's interesting for me because I think it's more on the Yankees choosing a manager that's not going to be a big-name person, that's not going to be someone that they're going to – they want somebody that's going to look at the analytics, uh, look at what the computer says, and follow it at the end of the day. They want somebody that's not going to cost 5 to $10 million a year to manage a baseball team. They want something a lot cheaper. And I think that's what the Yankees saw a manager as nowadays. And it, the key for them is probably just the development of a guy like Gary Sanchez and a guy like Aaron Judge and a young development of players. Uh, I think the Yankees are going to be totally fine with whatever manager they were to choose. Aaron Boone, again, the the biggest question mark for me, no managerial experience. Now, uh, should that be too much of a factor? Uh, It's going to be more of a factor of how he uses the bullpen at the end of the day. Will he use the bullpen like a Joe Girardi did? Will he use a bullpen where he takes a guy out after the 5th or 6th inning? Will he keep on going with the bullpen? That's going to be what I'm really interested to see when it comes to Aaron Boone and what his style is on using the pen. But overall, I I think this is a good signing. I think this is a guy that uh, the Yankees chose as someone a lot of Yankee fans know because of the big home run that he had off Tim Wakefield and you know, time will tell. I, I still think the Yankees are a playoff team. I still think the Yankees are expected to do very well this season, whether they had Joe Girardi, Aaron Boone, or a different manager under the helm, but uh, it's only going to be on how he does on the decision making, and that's where we're going to really judge him from there, but at the moment, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and expect him to do very well, and I do hope him best is he's starting off as a manager for the New York Yankees, and it just also shows I think one of the things on how the Yankees view managers right now, where you don't need a guy who's been doing it for a decade plus to tell you, no, we're doing it this way. You want to, well, guy- I think that's
0: the trend in baseball in general. These days, you don't have those guys that have 20 plus years of experience anymore. You have the guy that's going to listen to the front office and say, are you going to embrace this new age of baseball where we have all these numbers? We have all these stats to make the team better. Are you going to listen to us? And if the answer is yes, then you're going to get the job. If you're, I mean, and that's where I felt like the problem with Joe Girardi was, not that Joe Girardi was a bad manager, I think Joe Girardi still deserves a lot of credit for the way he managed in New York, but I mean, Joe Girardi still does belong to kind of that old school style where, hey, why don't I necessarily have to do it this way, I can do it my way.
1: Yeah, and I think that's what the Yankees were trying to get away from. The idea of uh, a manager doing it his way, and a manager doing it by his choices. Um, And I think that's Again, it was surprising to see Joe Girardi go, especially when you come one game short of getting to the World Series. Uh, But nonetheless, I think that just shows how good this Yankee squad is expected to be this season. But, Jose, what should their biggest need be going into this offseason? Well, for the Yankees, I have my
0: number one need is clear the outfield. Um, And not clear the outfield in terms of get rid of everybody. But make some room out there. They have so many outfielders out there. And not a lot of spots. Obviously, Aaron Judge is a given. To me, Aaron Hicks deserves to start every day in center field. He's proven that he's picked it up and turned it around. Um, and he, he proves he's a good defensive glove out there in center field, too. So now you look at left field, one spot for possibly three guys, Jacoby Osbury, Brett Gardner, and Clint Frazier. But I'm sorry, Clint Frazier needs to play every single day for the New York Yankees. He's a spark plug. You saw it when he played. Yeah, there's going to be growing pains, but the Yankees really need to find a way to either buy out Jacoby Ellsbury or trade him and trade Brett Gardner. You know, thank Brett Gardner for your service for all these years for the Yankees. You've been a tremendous Yankee, but on the flip side, it's time for you to go. The Yankees need to make room for a younger outfield, and they have other outfield options, too, as backups, too. So the Yankees need to make room in that outfield, particularly looking at Jacoby Ellsbury and Brett Gardner to move them to make room for the young star that is Clint Frazier, who's going to be a stud. Number two on the list for the Yankees to me, third base slash DH. You know, Todd Frazier's a free agent, and Todd Frazier did good in his time with the Yankees. He did what was needed. But the question is, is Todd Frazier, he says he wants to be a Yankee, but is he going to settle for a one-year contract? If you're the Yankees, you know, Gleyber Torres is not far away. So you need to find a stopgap third baseman, Like a Todd Frazier, if he agrees to it. Maybe like a Mark Reynolds, where you could play at third base and DH. I would love to see Mark Reynolds be on New York Yankees and crush 70 home runs in that ballpark, honestly. I think it would be fun to watch. But I think Mark Reynolds, who could play third, he could play first, he could DH for you. I think that would be a good fit for the New York Yankees. Somebody who you could bring in on a one-year basis, that way in case Glebert Torres is er is ready earlier than expected, and he comes up this year. You can easily bench him and not have the controversy that you would have if it was Todd Frazier. Todd Frazier might not want to get benched for Gleyber Torres. He may not want to sign a one-year deal. You need to bring in a guy that's going to come in at the right price for the right amount of time, who's going to be okay with a young guy like Gleyber Torres taking his spot. And, of course, my third need for the Yankees is also DH slash first base whatever. Greg Bird is on his way back. I still believe in Greg Bird. I think he's a talented hitter. I think he's going to be a good first baseman, but the Yankees need to find that DH – um, not a fixture at DH, but somebody who they could swap in there. Matt Holliday didn't do much for the Yankees this year. So the Yankees really need to find that guy to either platoon with, let's say if it's an Ellsbury, if they end up keeping him, a right-handed bat or a left-handed bat to really carry that DH spot to hold it maybe three times a week while they alternate it the rest of the week with some other guy in the lineup. But the Yankees do need to find that DH. Even though I'm not a fan of having one DH in particular, the Yankees could benefit from getting that guy who's going to be DHing uh majority of the time. Yeah.
1: Um I, I certainly would like the Yankees to try and get a little bit less in that outfield, especially when you said it. they have so many different outfielders trying to get a position, and it's hard to start them all. And, you know, the obvious name is Brett Gardner. I think that's the guy that the Yankees have tried to trade or has been in trade talks for, what, the last three years, and it never seems to happen. He's still an outfielder that the Yankees could consider trading away, and you're talking about a guy that they could trade away for a starting pitcher at that point, and that's really what the Yankees need in my mind, they need just one more starting pitcher, we saw CeCe Sabathia as a free agent, um, Michael Pineda as a free agent, and you looked at the um, the starting pitcher, it's Tanaka, Servino, Sonny Gray, and from there there's a little bit of questions from your four and your five, uh, Jordan Montgomery, yes, you can go that route, but I even would say that... I wouldn't want to trust him as my four starter and not even know who my fifth starter is right now. So I really expect the Yankees to go out there and sign a starting pitcher in this offseason. And that's really what I think the Yankees need to look to do. Uh, I would have said Tyler Chatwood when you think of it because of how uh, he is on the road. But this could be a move where you see the Yankees try and get uh, a guy like a Jesse Chavez or a guy like a Giovanni Gallardo or even though they had Yajemi Garcia for what, maybe a couple hours before they dealt him, <laughs> um, Yahimi Garcia could be a, a choice among it. Uh, so I do think they're going after some of those guys. Uh, really one of the more interesting ones in my mind is Jeremy Hellitson uh, as well. I think that could be the player of choice. When you think of it, it's a guy that's not going to be the ace for the team, but he could be a viable four or fifth starter for the regular season. I think that's something the Yankees really need to strive to get. And it's going to be someone that's going to be consistently healthy as well. It uh, might be a little bit more of a challenge by some of the other names I added, but that's what I'm looking at for the Yankees. A, a fourth or fifth starter, maybe two. And maybe Montgomery plays just long relief outing uh, as the choice of... Uh, to go on. Sometimes we've seen Tanaka Struggle or Sonny Gravely uh, exit early in starts or other guys exit in starts that they may just want Montgomery for that long relief and they go for a fourth and fifth starter for free agency. I don't expect the Yankees to spend a lot of money this free agency. If they do, they're looking at only a one-year contract and they're still trying to get under the $189 million threshold for this year. So I don't expect them to put a lot of money into players. That's why I'm not naming maybe the top starters this year, Uh, but certainly so. A fourth or a fifth starter, I expect the Yankees to go that route. That's what I think they really need to try and grab this offseason to just solidify that starting pitching. The bullpen can take over, what, in the fifth inning if they so want in most of these games, but on a consistency you need that, a guy that can throw five or six innings. Uh, Because, you know, we've been talking about trades, we've been talking about signings, Uh, and we spoke about it earlier, with Chantal Stanton and Dee Gordon already getting dealt. I was like, give me a possibility blockbuster trade that could happen in this offseason.
0: Well, I think it's very likely you're going to see Jason Hayward get dealt this year, Um, and I think you're going to see a team that's pretty desperate in the San Fran Giants trying to acquire him. So I have Hayward going to the Giants. I don't know what the Giants would give up in return, Um, but I think the Giants, you know, they're desperate to add another bat, they want to add some defense to that outfield. Jason Hayward would be a good fit for them defensively, especially in AT&T Park. Um, and Jason Hayward can still swing it. I know a lot of people like to hate on his offense, but he does put up some still, some good offensive numbers. He could beat it at leadoff guy at the top of the order um, for the San Francisco Giants. And to me, this is not more of a the Giants need a big bat. They're going to get Hayward. But for me, again, and I'm speculating here, but I think the Cubs are going to be a serious player in on Bryce Harper and need to start making room for him now. So expect the Cubs to deal a couple away with these outfielders because when Bryce Harper hits him in, in 2018 or whatever, the Cubs are going to be all in on him. Him and uh, C- uh, Chris Bryant, childhood friends, they grew up together. I believe Bryce Harper would love playing for Joe Maddon. So this is more of like the Cubs trying to make room for Bryce Harper, especially with the cash that they're paying Hayward, especially because Hayward's probably not going to opt out because he's probably not going to get more money because of the poor seasons that he's had. This is more of the Cubs trying to make room Bryce Harper money-wise and space-wise as opposed to the Giants getting Hayward but I do see the Cubs trading Jason Hayward to the San Francisco Giants
1: so I'm going to say the Tampa Bay Rays make a trade and they're going to, they're already looking to try and deal closer out Kowalame and Jake Odorosi I think I said those names right uh, but I think they're going into a combined trade to the St. Louis Cardinals And I think you are to look at a return of uh, Steven Piscotti. This is a move where the Rays are giving up a bullpen piece, a closer. The Cardinals need that after you have like Trevin Rosenthal and others coming on free agency this year. And when you have Lance Lynn leaving your team for possibility of free agency, I think the Cardinals will go a different route and look for a trade. The Rays have ample amount of starters. They have a closer available that they're willing to trade. These are cheaper players than what you could go for on free agency. And Piscotti as well could be one of those type of moves that fits well with the Tampa Bay Rays. They have Steven Stroker Jr., Kevin Tillmeyer, Mallett Smith, and yes, It does seem like they already have an outfield set, but you could also look at them and see Steven Sosa Jr. try and DH a little bit more. They can go a different route. They could even put a guy like Malik Smith into the minor leads for Piscotti and to see how Piscotti goes and uh, is able to play in Tampa. But I think you're looking at that. And number two prospect on the Cardinals, catcher Carlson Kelly. Look, Yadier Molina, catcher for the Cardinals, he's still he's still a phenomenal catcher still one of the best defensive catchers still hitting the ball extremely well and it's great that you have a great prospect behind you but your chances of dealing Yadier Molina or getting rid of Mon- Yadier Molina for a top prospect is very unlikely so that's why i put him into this smiths on the trade whereas for the rays yes they have wilson ramos on a one year deal this year but i think long term they would love to get a top prospect catcher, especially when you talk about a team that's been so relying on their starting pitching, on their bullpen for years. Why not try and add a top prospect who's already MLB pretty much ready, which could fit well in a, with a Wilson-Ramos combo this season as well. So that's my trade I'm really looking at, is do the Rays look to try and trade their closer and a starting pitcher this offseason and try and get MLB-ready talent Already on to try and compete this year. The Cubs are already made a move in this offseason. They signed Tyler Chatwood, the former Rocky, to a three year, $38 million deal. Chatwood, 27 years old, finished 2 and 15 with a 4.69 ERA in 33 games, 25 of those he started with the Rockies. Uh, it doesn't sound like great stats, but here's the thing. If you take his road stats just for a moment, last season, five and seven, with a three point four nine ERA in sixteen games, thirteen starts on the road, compared to a three and eight record with a six oh one ERA in seventeen games, twelve starts at home, at Coors Field. So these are very different split stats you're talking about between a home and road split. We've always known that pitchers struggle in Coors Field, Chatwood is one of them by that ERA differential. This could be a really underrated signing by the Chicago Cubs.
0: Yeah, it could be an underrated signing, and it might be one of those signings
1: where it's like, wow, you know, thank God we
0: strike first, because a lot of other teams probably would have been asking about Chatwood late in the off season to sign him as a 4 or 5 guy, which he's going to end up being for the Cubs. He's going to be their 4th or 5th starter, but you never know. Um, he, it might end up paying off for them. This might be one of those sneaky moves that you know, we, we're going to look back on it and say, "Wow, remember when the Cubs signed Tyler Chatwood and no one made a big deal about it?" And you know, and Tyler Chatwood might have himself a nice season.
1: Yeah, I, the road stats speak for itself: a 3.49 ERA in 13 starts, uh, in 16 games. Yes, you could tell me that some of those will probably have been against the San Diego Padres or the San Francisco Giants, and they're very much pitcher parts, and those teams very much struggled, of course. But for the most part, this is a guy that had a mid-three ERA when he's not playing at Coors Field, and that to me stands out. At the end of the day, the Cubs are not signing him to be their number one pitcher. Like we said, they have John Lester, they have Kyle Hendricks, they have Jose Quintana, but they need a fourth starter. And that's a good move in my mind for a reliable fourth starter, 27 years old, pitching in a mid-three Three and a half, four ERA, that's a consistency, and you don't need to do too much when you have the Cubs offense behind them. I really like the signing by the Cubs, and this could be one of those type of moves that just quietly goes under the radar but helps them win the division a lot faster when you talk about having great starting pitching in the back end of your rotation. Uh, Let's go on to a a fun little moment. Uh, Silly or smart? Uh, Choose one and give me a reason why. Uh, The Baltimore Orioles are apparently taking calls on Manny Machado. Jose, Manny Machado will be a free agent after the 2018 season. Would Baltimore be wise to look to trade Machado?
0: Yeah, I think that's a smart decision to start fielding calls now. Um, I mean, not that Manny Machado has anything against Baltimore, but this is a guy that's destined to be in a big market team under limelight, whether it's New York, L.A., or Miami eventually. I think Manny Machado is going to be on the move. This is a guy that has made it very clear that he wishes to be. That he wants to break A Rod's records, he said one time. So that would mean that he wants to be a New York Yankee. Um, but I think Machado is one of those guys where he wants the spotlight on him. He can handle the pressure. He wants to be in a big market. He wants to win, too. And the Baltimore Orioles haven't been doing much of that lately. So, And he's going to want to get paid, too. He's a Scott Boris guy. So, you know, there's always that, too. Um, so I think Manny Machado, it's a, it's, a, it's a foregone conclusion that Machado's leaving Baltimore. So if you're in Baltimore Orioles, you could do one or two things. You can trade him while his value is up high enough and get something for him. Or you could watch him walk away like so many other teams do and think about, man, do we settle for a draft pick? Because even with the qualifying offer, you know, a team is still going to sign him. And you'll gladly give up a draft pick for Manny Machado. But the question is for the Orioles, are you going to be content with one draft pick? Or are you going to be more content with a bunch of prospects that you can get for Manny Machado. If I'm the Orioles, I'm going with a bunch of prospects, especially since the Orioles have a lot of needs and not a strong farm system to try and fix that. Um, And you're not going to be able to afford him. And also, you insulted him last year by, you know, giving him his first contract. And remember, there was reports that he's kind of insulted by the first initial offer by the Orioles in terms of a contract extension. So I think it's all, it's a perfect storm. It's a golden recipe for Machado to already be on his way out of Baltimore. Might as well take advantage and get something for him.
1: Yeah, this is this is the wise move. Uh, if someone's able to blow, by, blow you with the idea of an amazing trade that you just can't let go of, yeah, by far. You might as well listen to calls right now, hope that your season goes well and you're able to compete, or that you're able to sign Manny Machado. But most likely, I think most people expect him to not sign with the Orioles next year. So you might have to trade him either by the trade deadline or before the season starts, you might as well get an early start on it. We've seen teams trade like guys like Chris Sale way before they needed to, and this seems like one of those moves where the Orioles would be smart to try and make a trade and to try and trade away Manny Machado if the right price or the right deal comes their way. If not, you might as well just hold on to him right now if it can't beat a first-round pick or competing for next season. Uh, how about one other thing? Uh, a former Baltimore Orioles player, uh, 53-year-old Raphael Palmero is eyeing a comeback. Palmeiro hasn't played in the big league since 2005, since he was suspended for testing positive for performance-enhancing drugs. Uh, Jose, silly or smart, Palmeiro trying to make a comeback?
0: Oh, silly, silly. Uh, I mean, the, the guy's trying to revive his career. The guy's trying to pretty much revive his reputation, but it's gone. I mean... He was accused of performance-enhancing drugs. Whether he did it or not, he, his legacy is tarnished. If he comes back at 53, no team is going to give him a chance to try and come back. I mean, I, I think any team that would try to, it's silly. Um, it's it's just not worth it. I mean, dude has to be content with what could have been. Um, and, you know, and he has a son that's playing in the minor leagues right now. And just do what you can for your son. Cheer him on and, you know, maybe he can carry on the family legacy name. Uh, you know, but that's about it. But, I mean, 53 years old. Not that he can't do it, you know, follow your dreams, I guess, but it's just not smart. No team is going to want to take a chance on Rafael Palmeiro. Uh,
1: I highly doubt he's going to be able to have any success if he came back, and I'm not saying he gets immediately put on an MLB roster. Well,
0: I mean, you never know. The Mets are looking for a first baseman, right, to replace Don Smith?
1: So (laughs) The sad part is I can see that happening. Yeah, sadly. I could too. I don't know if he'll be as lovable as Bartolo Cologne now. Uh, <laughs> don't doubt it, man. That mustache is something else. Uh, Alright, but uh, no. Uh, if he was able to. If he was able to actually get a comeback going, put himself into the bid leads and do all this by some rubbing of a genie lamp, uh, yeah, it would be smart. But most likely this won't be anything to take seriously. It's just going to be something that's talked about for today and then it's gonna die down pretty quickly i think i agree with you he, both of his sons are in the minor leads right now trying to make it to the majors he joked with them saying i'll get to the majors before the both of you again and you know if he's able to do it congrats to him and that may be able to get him on a right view by fans maybe even by uh a hall of fame committee although that's even highly unlikely but overall i think your name is what it is now. People know who you are because of the performance enhancing drugs, and nothing is going to change that at the end of the day. So I think this is just going to be a little bit silly. If he was able to do, if he was able to make a comeback, then it was pretty smart of him. But highly unlikely he's going to be able to. And with that, let's kick it to Beard Bat, where we look back in sports history, and we're looking back on December eighth, as. 1961, we go back for Will Chamberlain scores the second highest total in the NBA at 78 points at the time, and uh, certainly one of the most talented players in the NBA. And in 1961, he put up 78 points in a single game. That's always one of those fun, memorable dams. And then in 1987, Ron Hetstall from the Philadelphia Flyers became the first goalie in NHL history. To shoot and score a goal, it was an empty net goal, but it made him only the second goalie to get credited for a goal in the NHL.
0: A goal's a goal, my man. Don't, a goal's don't. a goal.
1: And it's gonna have to come on an empty netter because he's not leaving his net. But certainly, at the end of the day, a goal's a goal, and that's something I think he'll. It's something you always would remember. Uh, and with that, we did record podcast on Bat-to-Bat Days, if you're listening to podcast episode 15 and 16, we said December 7th and then December 8th, and one of the slight challenges in that is picking a dude and dunce of the week, because we're strictly having to pick it for Thursday, December 7th's professional sports games, however, Ben Simmons made my choice very easy after he recorded a triple-double, 12 points, 13 rebounds, and 15 assists in the loss to the Lakers, Lonzo Ball had a really fantastic game as well. It, it was only going to be between Ben Simmons and Lonzo Ball, but Ben Simmons with the trub- triple-double, I have to give it to him for that, as he is my dude of the week.
0: And as you said, Ben Simmons made your choice easy. Well, LeVar Ball made my choice even easier. Doesn't he LeVar always? Ball- <laughs> my dunce of the week is Lavar Ball yet again. He takes LeAngelo Ball out of UCLA due to him thinking that they are punishing him for all the wrong reasons in UCLA after the shoplifting incident, but nonetheless, he is now taking both of his sons out of school, with LaMelo being homeschooled now, and says he plans to play them in international leagues to get them into the NBA, says that they don't need an agent. I'm sorry, but Lonzo Ball Ball might be very lucky that he already is in the NBA, because I feel bad for these next two kids in their future. I mean, it is getting out of hand now at this point. I don't see them getting drafted unless they put on some strong showings in Shanghai, China, or wherever the hell they're going to go. But I really don't see teams taking a chance on any of these two kids in the future because of what's going on now, because of the circus that is this Ball family. And I do feel bad because these kids do have potential to be good, you know, do good things in the NBA. But I find it very hard now for teams to want to take a chance on both Liangelo and LaMelo. So, Lonzo Ball, congratulations on what's going to be a good career for you because you might be the only one that might end up having a good career. And my dunce of the week is LaVar Ball. Oh,
1: well, Liangelo Ball also, he's not really on any scouts' radar.
0: He's not, but there were some reports that he was actually the better one out of the three. Um, and obviously, he was my favorite. Honestly, he was my favorite because he was the one that spoke the least. But, but in all seriousness, I mean, he's not in any scouts' radar. And for Lamelo, he's still way too young to be on anybody's radar. And again, I mean, yes, players get drafted internationally. I mean, you look at Kristaps Porzingis, you look at Frank Ntilikina, but these guys have been playing for years out there for scouts to realize them. These two kids, I mean, their dad is just your dad's putting a target on our back saying they're not, they're too good to play in any college system. I'm going to move them overseas. Don't get me wrong. I have issues with the college system as well too, with the NCAA and the way they use these kids, but it's getting out of hand and you're really hurting the chances of these two kids getting drafted because if I'm a number one pick, if let's say if I'm the Lakers with another number one pick, I'm not going to say, Hey, let me draft LeAngelo ball out of China. I'm going to look at all the NCAA teams first before I look internationally.
1: And you already have, the challenge of having one of them, uh, and again, and it's not even that it takes an effect on LiAngelo. This also could take effect on uh, what's it, Lee Mello, Uh When you talked about, is UCLA going to want to put it up with a third ball child that if something doesn't go the kid's way, he's going to get pulled out of the school? So it really questions whether or not you want to give a scholarship to that type of student or a player at that point, uh, because its only sole focus is not on, you know, the glasses, but it's only on the basketball at that point, and it's just like, you know, something's not going away? Okay, he's gone. It's it's not showing the right uh, mindset or not creating the right mindset, I think, in any of the kids where it's like, okay, nothing can go wrong. There is no consequences for what uh, you do. Type situation. I think that's something that also points in the wrong direction. Uh, while we are on this MBA part, uh, final thoughts to the Strasso and Beard episode 16 of the podcast. Uh, Jose, I'm going to give it to you on this one. Uh, because you are a Brooklyn Nets fan, although sadly. Yes. Yeah, although they're never really. <laughs> Any, I originally had great, but I'm changing it to. There are never really any good things to say about. The I nets. mean, I took
0: that. I, I took that part off my dating profile because I found it was leading to no results. But yeah, sure, go ahead and put that out in the public. Sure.
1: Get, you get more swipes without putting the nets down. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but I really like this trade they just did. The Nets receive Jahil, Okafor, uh Nick Status, and a 2019 second round pick via the Nets for Trevor Booker. So Jose. For our final thoughts, what are your thoughts on this trade?
0: Honestly, I love the trade. I mean, you're talking about Trevor Booker, who, don't get me wrong, Trevor Booker has been very good for the Nets over the past year and a half. He's been a bright spot for them. But he's not the future of this Brooklyn team. And honestly, they should have looked to try and trade him last year when he had some value. They didn't. So they traded him now. And I I love it for the Nets because you're taking advantage of a 76ers team that needed to move Okafor. They're not using him. People were starting to get on the 76ers' case. Why are you wasting this kid? Why are you wasting his time? So the Nets took advantage. They traded away a guy in Trevor Booker who's going to be a good backup for the 76ers. Don't get me wrong. The 76ers are getting a good backup power forward in Booker that can help play when Embiid is not on the court and whatnot. But what the Nets are getting back in return is a lot of potential. To me, Jaleel Okafor, a lot of people consider him a bust. I don't consider him a bust just yet. You're looking at a guy who... He didn't quite fit the system over there, or fit the process, I should say, in the 76ers. They drafted a crap ton of centers over there. So how can you really prevail when you have so many other guys that play the same position as you? He's coming to a team where you have Timothy Mozgov and you have Tyler Zeller, I believe, but those guys are not the future either. So he's really only competing with Jared Allen for a future center spot. If not, he's going to be the backup. He's going to get playing time. I think this is going to point in all the right directions for Jaleel Okafor. This could end up being a major steal for the Brooklyn Nets. Maybe not this year, but maybe next year and the year beyond that. And they get a draft pick out of it. So kudos to the Nets for pulling that off.
1: Yeah, there's no real risk uh, for them. If they hit, they hit and they hit bid. If they don't. Yeah, I mean, was... if
0: he's a bust, he ends up being a bust, and so what? It wouldn't be the first time that's does have that.
1: Yeah, and all they gave up was Trevor Booker at the end of the day for a possibility of having some great future players alongside them for a team that doesn't even have first-round draft bits. <laughs> uh, and with that, thank you for listening to Sarasso and the Beard podcast, episode 16. Once again, I'm Nit Sarasso.
0: And I'm the Talking Beard, Jose Rivera.
1: And thank you for listening to the podcast as you just listened to Sarasso and the Beard, Episode 16. Enjoy your day.